Hello, welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with Delia Delore, the show that explores the impacts of commonly used phrases on our world's diverse cultures and how people's use of them shape our perspective on the societies we live within. I hope you're all staying safe and enjoying your life to the best ability that you can. I know during these recent times, it's been really hard to take any type of journey with COVID-19 around. And so it's very difficult for you to have any life-changing experiences, but it still doesn't mean that you can't push yourself to embark on other journeys. For example, I knew that I wanted to push myself and throw myself into the deep end with something that I've always tried to learn, but for some reason, it's just not sticking. Languages, I'm terrible at them. I've learned Spanish to A-level, but don't ask me to say anything. I've completely forgotten. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to learn some French. Well, you know what? (laughs) I was so frustrated, I gave up. But at least I tried. But you know, learning a language isn't the only way to keep busy during lockdown or even doing yoga or stretching like me. You could learn other skills, such as painting or playing an instrument. Although yoga is the healthy route to go because, as you know, so many people are suffering with anxiety now, you could choose to learn some music. Not just an instrument, but maybe just try your luck and make your own music. You could be the next Mozart or Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) My guest this week, Anyango Yabo Davenport, is more than familiar to the sound music. Being one of the top female solo conductors, Anyango has led orchestras all over the world and she's a highly acclaimed solo violinist. She chose this week's metaphor, a painter paints his pictures on canvas, but musicians paint their pictures on silence. And we will dive into her own interpretation of this metaphor a little later. So join me as we embark on a journey that is guaranteed to leave you wanting to reflect and listen to the wonders of music. You never know, this week's episode might even inspire you to get involved within an orchestra or maybe view one virtually. There are some fantastic performances going on online now. A painter paints pictures on canvas, but musicians paint their pictures on silence. We provide the music and you provide the silence. That was a quote by the British conductor Leopold Stokowski. When we talk about musical performances, we don't often talk about conductors. Instead, we discuss the instrumentalists, the guitarists and the pianists, those who produce the incredible melodies that make us feel all sorts of emotions. But conductors hold an important role in an orchestra too, one that is quite different. Anyway, conductors, as we know, direct an orchestra. They bring their understanding of the piece to life and impart their vision to the musicians. Leopold Stokowski gained fame by doing this, most notably by working with the Philadelphia Orchestra. It's not easy to become an orchestral conductor, but if you wanted to, it's recommended that you learn how to play at least one instrument first. This is so you can understand the real skill that you will have to masterfully direct. Stokowski even said that at the beginnings of his career, he would visit Paris every summer to try and learn a new instrument. This was so he would not annoy his players by asking them to do something against the nature of their instrument. Conductors are also known for their batons. These act as an extension of their arm and makes it much easier to use small and precise gestures to direct the different sections. 
It's also simpler for all the players to focus on instead of a pair of flailing limbs. You have to remember that an orchestra is comprised of hundreds of people sometimes and a conductor has to direct each and every one of them simultaneously. Stokowski, however, was extremely famous for ditching the traditional baton. He used just his hands, but was still able to create fantastic renditions of classical pieces with his musical ensembles. He in turn inspired a whole generation of batonless conductors. This is just one example of Stokowski's influence, with his career having spanned over 60 years during the last century. There's a few more places where he left his mark, some of which you may not expect. The first one is within Disney. Stokowski found importance in sharing his love for music with the world, whether it be showcasing contemporary composers or testing out new technologies. He wanted to keep classical music accessible to the masses. So when Disney approached him to conduct for his animated classic Fantasia, Sarkowski could hardly say no. Here he is in an interview about his work. The question of getting over the music of the masters to a wider public than would otherwise Exactly be. that, yes. You said it uh, better than I could have said it, but that's how it is. And later we went on in still farther with Disney in uh, Fantasia. Fantasia and we had their music of Stravinsky and Bach, all, all kinds of music. How did this film come to be made? Uh, we did this way. Uh, Disney made a certain plan. He said, what would be the music for this? What kind? For example, he wanted to show how this world, this little world we live on, began in primitive forms with primitive animals and gradually came until we had man. Uh, and he said, what would be good music for that? And I said, Stravinsky, Sac du Printemps, in my opinion, would be good for that. Here are a couple more examples. Close your eyes and picture a certain type of individual. I'm sure you recognize that tune, but could you imagine a space-time traveler adventuring across the universe? What about this one? What kind of setting do you conjure? That was Vivaldi's storm. Could you picture a turbulent ocean with waves crashing about? The peril of a boat being knocked around by the sea? Even if you didn't quite imagine that, I'm sure you pictured something just as unsettling. Music is a wonderful tool to use with our imagination. It's probably why some of us love listening to ballads when we're sad or thumping bass when we're not. Music evokes emotions in us.
It changes how we feel from moment to moment. So next time you listen to an instrumental piece, close your eyes and imagine. Imagine what the composer was describing or the kind of setting you yourself can picture. It's not always obvious, but like a painting on canvas, it's your connection to the work that really matters. Conducting and performing takes incredible skill and talent. To perfect this art takes time and great levels of patience. As you can hear from this performance, we can listen to my guest, Anyango Yabo Davenport, perform a truly spectacular piece, and I can guarantee you it will grip you to your seat. Wow, didn't I tell you that would be thrilling? That was Anyango Yabo Davenport performing Jay Corigliano's Sonata for Violin and Piano, accompanied on piano by Vanessa Fadiel. I remember the very first time I saw Anyango perform. Well, back then it was just Miss Davenport. We were at a Color of Music Festival in Charleston, South Carolina, and this elegant young lady stood up on stage with her violin and performed this incredible solo piece it captivated the audience that everyone just we were just silent you could literally hear a pin drop and then the clapping and tears of joy after her performance her story is truly incredible from her first musical performance to her early life in germany her adventure is one you'll definitely want to hear Anyanga, why did you select the metaphor a painter paints pictures on canvas, but musicians paint their pictures on silence? I think the, the metaphor so much speaks to my conviction as an artist, as a musician and as a human being. I think a musician has the most powerful use uh, when we observe the silence, when, it, when there should be no music, when there should be no talking, because the silence is actually the moment that allows what happened before and what is coming next to be more powerful. So I think also the world um, is, is so noisy in general, but when we have a silent moment, it's very special. And to me, being able to incorporate the silence in a musical phrase in a musical expression and transmit that to the audience that is the most powerful thing that we can do as musicians so that's why this metaphor spoke very much to me well i must say that my team was really blown away when you came up with that one because i wasn't expecting something you know as refined but yet so right even though they don't know you and i do 
they just felt, wow, that's a really powerful metaphor. So they asked me to ask you this, based on everything they saw when they were researching, your performances are absolutely jaw-dropping. That's me telling them that as well. <laughs> the silence in the room is breathtaking and your ability to captivate everyone is incredible. How did you get to this place? Um, I am not quite sure how I got to this place, but I can tell you what led me there. Um, and the hard work it's taken. I, I started taking an, a strong interest in playing a musical instrument when I was two years old. Um, there are embarrassing pictures of me standing in front of the TV trying to imitate Leonard Bernstein conducting the New York Philharmonic. And um, yeah, so, so from that age on I, I wanted to have my own orchestra, which of course my parents said because of logistical reasons, it was not a good idea for my second birthday to have my own orchestra. So I settled for the violin because the concert mistress is closest to the conductor. So that was a nice compromise. And um, from then on, it just took off. I, I enjoyed playing the violin. I enjoyed making music, expressing myself through music. I learned piano from the age of six as well. Um, and I went through my, my entire pre-collegiate undergraduate um, playing both violin and piano. Um, I, I had a love for both and um, with competitions and, and um, changes of teachers trying to be my best at this craft. Um, at some point one has to branch out and, and it's not just any longer the mastery of the instrument playing that perfectly but it's also what do I want to do with this what do I want to convey by playing the violin for example and um, to me it was really important to help people when they come into the concert hall maybe take an hour an hour and a half of the time that they're giving to to listen to you you have to give something back and that is uh, perhaps a a lens into another world, taking them out of their everyday life. And for me, that was the most important thing um, to communicate with an audience, to contributing something to their lives when they visit the concert hall. So that's where I think I, I have the most rewarding experience with music as a performer, because on stage, I still get to communicate. There's no barrier between audience and musician. So. That's why I love it so much and I hope it translates. Well, certainly it does, but I really need to ask you, do you ever get stage fright? Because you seem so calm and collected and you know exactly what you're going to do. How does it feel just before you go on to do your performances? Oh, that's a feeling I miss during this pandemic. I mean, it's... I, I miss this feeling of being backstage and knowing, okay, this is the moment you're going to go on and you get this release of your energy by being on stage. And so for me, backstage, it's more of a buildup of excitement, of um, extreme enthusiasm. And I get extremely impatient because I just would like to just now go on stage and perform and do what we all train so hard to do. Um, but performance anxiety as such I don't get um, but I think it is something that at least to my experience that can be or that is heavily affected by your preparation process 
by your health as a musician, not only physically, but also mentally. And um, that is also strongly informed by your intentions behind your craft and why you're on stage. So in my experience, for example, when I don't feel quite comfortable on stage at, at any point, it is because of my preparation process, because I need to ensure that my preparation is at its highest level, that I do my best with every practice session, and that I try out all the intentions I have musically as an artist. And when I have my plan clearly laid out in the preparation process, um, on stage usually is that's the rewarding moment where I can just share. And I don't think about all the minute details because I've done that homework already. Um, and I think about for a musician, of course, physical health is very important and it can make a big influence on your well-being on stage, if your pain, etc. So I think for me it's very important to maintain my body well, do my exercises, do my meditating, and then of course mental health on stage because we are, as musicians, we're always judged and, and the t we spend more time being judged by the age we're 30 than we are sp spending on average just sharing our art um, because this field is so competitive. And so I think it's important to know how to withstand this type of pressure. So I always like to tell my students, be your own best friend on stage, because you're, you're, you're all you've got on there at that moment. And um, if you truly love, if your true intentions are to share an art form and be in service to the composer and to the music, then it's much easier to do that when you tell yourself, okay, come on, you can do this girl. Keep going and wonderful, well done, and you encourage yourself. So I think that's really important and that's helped me so far do it the way I get to enjoy it. When you perform a particular piece numerous times, does it become easier to do it because you perform it more or is it harder to maintain that consistency, that professionalism, the way that perhaps someone has heard you play it or someone else played before, does it become easier or harder to continually play the same piece? Um, well, um, I think this is the, the, the origin question for most musicians. <laughs> In a way, perhaps physically speaking, it gets easier because your muscle memory has absorbed the movements to a certain extent that it becomes second nature. Um, but intellectually speaking, this is exactly the holy grail for me. Um, I, I like to think that it gets easier in a certain way, but it becomes more and more of your own texture. So you can actually play around with it on stage. You can play it differently one evening and then you're in another city and play it in another way. There's many ways to, to see the same piece of music. And I think for us as artists, it's super important that we do our due diligence and, and present all the possible interpretations of the piece and that we strongly connect to as well. And that makes sense. Um, but I think uh, as to speak about um, in playing the same piece and, and doing it justice in terms of comparing yourself with other performers, I think that's a uh, and not so recommendable option because I think as musicians anyhow we're being constantly judged and, and, and compared. So I think there's something we can take and perhaps learn from other performers 
and use as inspiration but i think um, we just gotta have our own voice and put out what we strongly feel convinced about behind this piece of music and translate that to the audience on average if you have to perform say in a month's time and you've got uh, two pieces to perform let's just say how much practice time do you put in oh I don't think there's a set number because just alone playing a piece of music, preparing it does not entail just preparing this particular piece of music, but there's also maintenance. I like to compare musicianship very much to a sports and elite elite athlete um, setup because what we have to do in everyday practice is clean our basic technique as well as expand it, take care of your fingers and your, your joints to make sure they're elastic, they're strong. So it's very comparable to an athlete. So we, we don't just focus on those two pieces, for example, but we focus on everything that comes before being able to play those two pieces and everything that comes after. Uh, so there's a, a cool down and a warm up, so to speak. Um, so playing two pieces of music, I don't think I can put a specific number on it because there's it depends on the work on the length of on the its demands but what i can tell you is that it does go within the daily practice session that can be depending on your schedule can be from uh four hours to six hours and some days to two hours so that's one thing that one as a professional musician has to navigate because you're not guaranteed to have your eight to ten hours of practicing every day uh, once you once you get out of school. <laughs> yes, well, we all assume that your instruments would be insured, but what about one of the most important instruments you have, your fingers, your hands? Yeah, I think this is a, a great question. Um, making sure that your fingers function right, there's a certain maintenance you can do yourself, but they're up to the insurance level. Um, we all know about Tina Turner insuring her legs uh, for a million dollars each in the 90s. That was spectacular. I wish I could do that with my fingers. Um, I think in your work insurance, like your, your everyday insurance to make sure if something happens, uh, accident or workplace insurance, then yes, that's covered. So I'd like to say that my fingers are definitely insured and um, knock on wood and pray to the heavens that nothing ever happens. Now, uh, briefly, if you could work with any composer or musician, past or present, who would it be? Oh, it would be two people right now. I'm, I, and both of them are actually Brits. So it would be Sammy Coleridge-Taylor and Ralph Vaughan Williams. And I, I think their sound worlds, specifically Sammy Coleridge-Taylor of African ancestry as well, I would love to... to get to speak with this composer, exploring his works, his sound ideas post Brahms. How was it for him as a man of color in, in Britain, growing up, being educated there, um, and being introduced to knowing the music of Brahms and, and Mozart and Beethoven and Bach and Handel and Haydn, knowing all of this history and how is his perspective because I grew up in Germany, so I have a very unique perspective on this coupled with my experiences as a woman of color growing up in Germany. And I imagine Samuel Coleridge Taylor had some 
very special stories and very special circumstances to share that perhaps are reflected in his music and I would love to get an insight into his thinking, into his world. And Ralph Vaughan Williams, of course, having written The Lark Ascending, which is currently my favorite piece, um, I just, I would love to sit down with him and, and go back to a simpler time to understand um, how an entire 15-minute piece about a lark came together just beautifully because there were no distractions like TV, cell phones, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. So if I could talk to these two Brits um, on the same continent, in the same country, that would be wonderful. Um, but for now, I will go through histories and um, their stories being told by books. And finally, what led you to produce your album Invisible Threads and what does the album mean to you? Wait, um, well, Invisible Threads came about uh, when I, this is my first investigative work uh, in being faculty member at a university in Colombia, at the Pontificia Javeriana University. And um, I really wanted to showcase a Colombian composer with Afro-Colombian influences. Um, so that aspect to me as a musician was very important. They have very unique rhythms, very unique sounds here from the Afro-Colombian community that I wanted captured in a classical work. And therein I got to um, collaborate with my colleague Juan Antonio Cuellar, a fantastic composer and also professor at the university um, that he would write a piece for a violin and piano that would reflect the Afro-Colombian history in a sonata form for violin and piano. And um, the other pieces uh, range from Toru Takemitsu to Bartok to Messiaen and Lowell Lieberman. Um, especially the Bartok and Messiaen have connections to my former mentor, Charles Castle, and I wanted to dedicate this to him because he's changed my, my vision of myself in classical music. He's allowed me to be an artist more than a student. And he encouraged me always to develop my voice, not to imitate a great artist. And that's a very unique teacher. So that for me um, needed to be said in music. And that's why I selected the Bartok and the Messiaen in homage to Charles Castleman. And um, the Lowell Lieberman piece, uh, Lowell Lieberman is a fantastic composer, world-renowned. Um, I've known him since I was 13, his works I've known. And then I met him in New York City um, many years later in the 2000s. And he was so kind um, to just invite me for a dinner at his home, uh, spend time with his family and just get to know him at, at a human to human level, which in turn, of course, helps every artist. This is every musician's dream is to get to meet the composer at a human level. So you can do better justice when getting on stage and playing his work. So yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a collection of important people, important influences in my life. Um, so yeah, I hope the audience will enjoy it. I can't wait to finish it. And how can people contact you now if they want to know more about you and hear your work? Um, you can check out my website, www.anyangomusic.com. 
You can find me especially now on Instagram with the same handle, Anyango Music. I'm doing a 100 days of practice commitment where I will post, or I am currently on day 27 now, um, where I will daily post videos of my practicing. And it's really what happens behind the scene, which I find way more interesting because we don't just all show up on stage perfect and, and just perform it and it's not hard at all. Um, quite on the contrary, this, these um, daily practice videos will show you um, the practice development of a particular passage or piece and um, how every single person makes a little bit of progress one, one step at a time every day. And there's, there's no magic to it, um, it's hard work. And so yeah, you can find me on Instagram doing the 100 days of practice and um, also Twitter and Facebook, all at Anyango Music. Well, Anyango, it's been a pleasure talking to you, finding out a little bit more about you uh, in this more formal setting than being in a restaurant with- No, thank you, and it's an honor to be on your podcast. Delia, you know, I think the world of you and your intellect and your tenacity and you, you're such an inspiring person to me. And so I'm deeply honored and I hope we get to do this soon again, but maybe in person, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Although this idiom is meant to highlight the plight of musicians, let's focus on the first statement. A painter paints their pictures on canvas. Not to be taken literally as some use paint on canvas, but Michelangelo painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Bansky uses spray paints on urban streets, and Picasso even used light and photography to create pictures on the air. Although art on a canvas is tangible and can simulate both sight and touch, it is not as immersive as music. Music creates an atmospheric soundscape immersing us. We can all create music in a sense by drumming on a table, whistling nonchalantly, or making farting noises with our mouths, also known as beatboxing. But can we create pictures with these primitive noises? Musicians paint their pictures on silence, something we explored earlier, but what about artists painting music? Wassily Kadinsky, a Russian painter and art theorist, had a neurological trait called synesthesia. One of the things I study in my lab is called synesthesia, and it represents a blending of the senses. So we've all heard the word anesthesia, which means no feeling. Synesthesia means joined feeling. So somebody with synesthesia, they might hear music, and it causes them to see colors physically. Or they might hear something, and it puts a taste in their mouth. Physically, they're experiencing that. Or they might um, uh, eat something, and it puts a feeling on their fingertip. Kadinsky used his synesthesia to become the pioneer of abstract art. What would he hear when encountering a bright yellow? Before Kadinsky, most paintings would be realistic representations of the subject. Grass would be green, clouds would be white, and people would have noses central to their faces. It's fascinating how music inspired this freedom of visual expression and now sells for millions. Looks as though it was painted by a toddler when compared to Kadinsky's contemporaries. Now onto the final section of our quote. You provide the silence. A statement that is usually true of an audience,
but in the notorious piece of music written in 1952 by John Cage, musicians provided the silence. John Cage was fascinated by the natural sounds that surround us and how absolute silence does not exist, so he wrote 4 minutes 33 seconds, or just 4.33. A three-movement composition where the musicians do not play their instruments, but the audience still listens. The piece allows the audience to absorb the music around them and interpret in their own way, as we all experience sound differently. I'm wondering how this could be achieved. How does it sound? Don't you wonder? Anyway, here is just one thirteenth of John Cage's most famous and controversial creation, 433, composed by Lawrence Foster. Is art more effective when it is loud and colourful, or when it is subtle and minimalistic? That's entirely up to the audience, as it is completely subjective. Mozart is revered as one of the greatest composers of all time. But some people feel The Marriage of Figaro sounds absolutely awful and actually they really enjoy Which did you prefer? It's completely up to you to acquire your own taste. Regardless of our opinions, we need to be respectful to artists. And I think this is particularly what the quote, a painter paints his pictures on canvas, but musicians paint their pictures on silence means. Musicians provide the music, whilst we provide a respectful silence to accommodate and appreciate their work. Of course, this idea of being respectful should not be exclusive to musicians only, but to every living thing on our wonderfully diverse planet. But I do think we should pay more respect to the length of time, practice and professionalism that musicians, especially classical musicians, go through. I hope you've learned something today. I know I have. The idea that one single person can control not only an orchestra of hundreds, but also an audience is breathtaking to me. And being witness to it makes me feel very privileged. It's so beautiful and so inspiring. And I hope our guest Anyango Yabo Davenport has persuaded you to maybe go online and look at a virtual performance. One of our previous guests, Lee Pringle, who is the founder of the Color of Music Festival, Remember he told us that he was doing virtual performances? So if you go to colorofmusicfestival.org, you'll see some really lovely pieces there. And you'll also be able to sign in to attend a virtual performance. Please do it. It's so relaxing. And it really makes you feel proud when you see your community out there, your black community from all over the world on a classical stage. It's just absolutely amazing. This week's metaphor has opened up my eyes 
to how music can have such an effect on people and I hope it's done the same for you. Thank you, Anyango Yabo Davenport. It was my privilege to hear your incredible story and music. And always, I thank you, yes you, for listening. Did a metaphor come to mind while you were listening today? Has a quote or saying that shaped your life come to mind? If so, how about sharing it with us? We'll research it and bring it to life. Imagine a show just for you. You can reach us at msdelia at deliadelore.com. And we'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colorfulradio.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify, and all major streaming platforms. Men, women, everyone, enjoy and support International Women's Month. When? Now, of course, now. Please join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe. <laughs>